I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. All right, today I want to welcome Tom Cassetti. He is a industry influencer, author, speaker, advisor, coach, and mentor. Tom is a former Fortune 500 C-suite executive, CEO, and board member. As a C-suite leader, he has seen and done it all, merging companies globally, restructuring and turning around companies, starting up companies, and even a few on his own dime. He is a Maxwell Leadership Certified Team Member and has been mentored by John Maxwell himself. His servant leadership principles are time-proven and based on biblical foundations. Tom's book, C-Suite and Beyond, The Four Keys to Leadership Success, is a must-read and packed with stories of success and failure. Tom, welcome. Perfect. Thanks so much and for that grandiose introduction. Yeah. So the um you know, that's quite the uh the the background. And I don't know, let's let's kind of wind back. I mean, you know, how did you get from there, you know, there to here? What's you know, kind of a quick high uh flyover? What's been your life? Well, life's been my life. You know, I, I always say Life is a series of doors that open and close, and you kind of just choose discernment. Uh, and for me, discernment and prayer to say, okay, which particular door do I go through and which particular doors do I pass? Uh, I would say the one common thing uh, that I had to get to where I am today is is really people skills. Uh, mm. And leadership skills are really people skills. Um, as, as as I progressed, uh, about every two or three years, I, I got a promotion over you know, a 20, 30-year career. Um, and it was really always not because of my technical skills, but my people skills. Um, and that's one of the things that I always um, suggest uh, to individuals to say, look, um, when I say I, I ask individual, who, who are you? You know, I'm an engineer. Uh, I'm an accountant. I'm a, you know, I'm an IT guy. I'm a marketing person. And I said, well, that's very interesting. That's what you do. But who are you really? Right. So. As I progressed uh, through my you know, career, about every two, three years, it wasn't because of what I knew. It was because who I was, right? And, and that's where I separate you know, leadership skills, people skills versus technical skills. Another uh, a Mac story, a friend of mine kind of said it best. He says, we hire you for what you know, and we fire you for who you are. Right? <laughs> and that's very true, right? I mean, you hire somebody because of their sales skills or marketing skills or accounting skills, and then you put them in a leadership position and they fail because their character is not genuine, right? And and that's where they fail that leadership test. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's interesting because you know, typically first job out of college, you're you're getting based on what you, you know, some skill, some task that you can do. It's rarely, you know, rarely is somebody hired straight out of college for a, a leadership position. 
And so when you excel in that, that tends to be where you transition. Now you need a whole new set of skills, you know, to really grow and move up the ranks. Well, oddly enough, what the, my first college, uh, my, my first job out of college was with Colgate Pomolivan. And one of the reasons I took that job was and because I was interviewed by Grumman Electric Boat and, uh, you know, all kinds of, uh, because I was an engineer undergrad. So a lot of uh, defense industry uh, companies came down. I graduated from Polytech, which was uh, now part of NYU, but it was an engineering school. And and I remember this guy, Dave Vence, who I became friends with later on, interviewed me on college. And and he started off, he started off my interviewing and says, Tom, so look, we know you're smart. We know you graduated either because you got good grades or you were smart enough to cheat your way through college and got good grades. So let's get that out of the way. There's really no need to talk about your GP and all that stuff. I want to know what you like to do. You know, who are you like an individual? And that just resonated with me so well. And then when I went on to the uh, to the job interview inside the organization, I would just, you know, in those days you didn't have internet, so you couldn't kind of learn too much about the company, which you can today. But in every one of those interviews, whichever company I went to, I would pull people on the side and say, oh, how, how does it, how's it being like here? You know, what, what's the work environment like? What's everything? And, you know, I didn't get always a straight answer from some of the people that I, uh, you know, what I asked, but what I Colgate, everybody said, I love working here. This is a great place. Uh, and that really swung the, uh, you know, the baton for me to actually work for that organization because it, it was more about who I was. It was more about valuing me as an individual. People are having a good time there. They were being valued as individuals. They weren't just a number in a large organization. So that's, that's why I took the job. And, you know, that's, again, as you go through your career and you understand who you are, and unfortunately, many people do not understand who they are. You know, they kind of just punch the clock nine to five, and they really don't know what they don't know what makes them tick. So, you know, as you go through your career, um, build those leadership skills, build those, you know, build the character that you have, because uh, at the end of the day, you know, people buy into you. That that's you know who you are. Yeah. Now, a lot of our audience are is people that own small, medium sized businesses, and the you know they launch the business on their skills and and i think one of the challenges is as they grow their business they're probably better at what they do that launched them into that business than the people that they hire so how do you recommend that they move into a leadership role within their own company while seeing other people fill in the gaps for things that you know they're probably better at well, look, when I worked for large organizations, uh, I, I would get people who had Harvard MBAs or Oxford MBAs come and try to work for me. And, you know, I, I, I kind of realized that, look, it's not really me that they want to work for. It's just the brand of the organization, whether that may have been Colgate, Pamala, Philip Sonitronic, you know, Record Bank, Keezer, you know, these are all large Fortune 100 organizations with great brand names. And and people wanted to work for them. I just happened to be in a leadership position in those companies. So people would want to work for me. And then I started my own company. And, uh, you know, I, I I had this mindset of really hiring, you know, high flyer, you know, high potential individuals. And then, you know, after the first couple of interviews, it became apparent. I was like, who the hell are you? And why should we work for you? <laughs> right? Because I, I didn't I, I didn't have that brand. So, you know, I talked to a, a, a couple of people and they gave me some good advice and said, look, look. When you're in a small company, uh, it's so essential that you have a very strong sense of who you are and what you're about and what you're trying to do, because that's what people buy into. 
you know, you, you're starting up a new company, you're an entrepreneur, you don't have that brand name behind you. You, you know, you're not a Nike, you're not an Amazon, you're not a Microsoft. Um, you are, you know, a small company and, and people are going to come on board because they buy into who you are. So have a really strong sense of identity. Um, I always tell people, look, even before you start a company, you know, um, and, and no matter what you do, answer these three questions for yourself. Right? The first question is, who are you? The second question is, what is your passion? And a third question is, what are you good at? So get clarity on those three questions. So for me, I'm a servant leader. I'm passionate about making things better, making products better, making people better, making companies better. And I'm pretty good at leading and mentoring. So once you have clarity on those three questions, then start thinking about what company you want to start, what job you want to take, what do you want to do with your life? Because if you have clarity in those three questions, then I think you can begin to address your calling. So it's not a job. It's not a company. It's You're kind of starting to live your calling. And that's important for an individual because if you have clarity on that, people that will come and join your team will have clarity on that. And then there's all kinds of nuances on how you put a successful team together. We can talk about that. You know, that's also part of the book, but get clarity on yourself. Um, because once you have clarity on yourself, then you may not be starting a company that you would if you didn't have clarity, right? Just because you have a skill set. And so that's, you know, my my biggest advice for young entrepreneurs. So if somebody's listening and they don't have that clarity, how do they go about getting it? How do you recommend they do it? Well, you know, who you are as an individual is, um, is you know, you start off with your value sets. You know, you have values. Your values may be different than my values, right? So figure out what your values are. Uh, figure out, you know, like, I know I'm, I'm I, you know, people say Tom is a straight shooter. We may not like what he has to say, but he always tells it the truth, right? Where did that come from? Well, it came from when I was seven years old and I told the lie and my grandfather smacked me across the head, right? And I said, oh, you know, it hurt. The slap hurt, but what hurt more was to see I pissed off my grandfather so much that he was, because you know, he never hit me, right? And that was like the first time he hit me. So, 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 so today, part of my character is, is I'm a straight shooter. I'm an honest individual. And that's where it came from. It came from those, you know, values way, way, way back then. So, so get clarity on what your values are, right? Um, you know, what is your passion? I mean, I don't know how, you know, there, there's no tips other than to figure out what you're excited about every morning. I mean, it's just, that's just by default. Um, when you wake up every morning and you do things that there's some things that you like doing, uh, and there's some things that you you don't like doing. So just, you know, figure out what you're passionate about because guess what? If you're putting a team together uh, and they see you're not passionate about something, why in God's name would they join your team, right? It's like, yeah. oh man, Tom is like so miserable. He hates doing this stuff. He's not passionate about it. Why should I be passionate about it, right? So that's that's extremely important. And, and, and look, the third thing is nobody likes incompetence, right? So you may think that you're good at something, but, you know, but get some feedback from others to make sure that you actually are really good at it, right? Because uh, we all think we're good at things, but maybe we're not as good as we think that we are at, at doing things. But if, you know, you get some feedback, consistent feedback from other individuals to say what you're good at, um, then you can start piecing that that puzzle together. Um, I'm not sure if I gave you a, a, a direct answer. I mean, I don't know if you were looking for some kind of formula, Um but it's it's just you know it's just life. Figure out who you are and figure out what you're passionate about. Is no, and I I think that was really good. I just 
you know, I, I worry that there's a lot of people kind of walking through life that struggle with those questions, you know, and, and there's certainly a younger generation that has been brought up where their life has been scripted for them. It's almost, you know, I um, had an employee, well, she was, she worked for me before she's working for me again, but she was talking about how her, her son was having to choose what track he would be on in the seventh or eighth grade. And I said, my goodness, we've become like Japan of the eighties. And, you know, and so we have a generation that's been told what to do. I'm wondering if they're having trouble answering those questions because everybody's told them what their answers should be. Well, there's an element of truth to that. I, I use uh, my two daughters as an example. Um, my uh, my middle daughter was always, you know, high achiever. She went to Pace University in, in New York, got a business degree. Um, she, unfortunately, in 2008, when she graduated, which was the height of recession, she ended up coming working in one of my small businesses for about a year, and then she kind of spread her own wings. And but but look, her first job, uh, she she had a business degree from Pace University, and her first job was driving a Red Bull truck. I ah. mean, you know. She, Red Bull had just opened their distribution um, and um, they were looking for for people to, to physically drive the truck, go into store to store, sell stock shelves, et cetera. I mean, she didn't need an MBA degree uh, from Pace University to do that. But, you know, she kind of looked at the opportunities. She said, well, Red Bull is a pretty good company. Let me try to get in there. And, you know, she got recognized for, you know, what she did. And then she went over to Vita Cocoa, which is a, um, you know, coconut, large, you know, beverage company. And then now she went over to Uber Freight and from Uber Freight. Now she's in a different freight company as a high flying, you know, sales executive. So she was always focused, willing to do the work, knew exactly what she wanted to do and, and climbed the, you know, corporate ladder versus my other daughter, who is much younger. She's uh, graduated from LMU with a, uh, with a um, theater and dance degree because she was creative, right? And, um, you know, she hated living in L.A. She hated that whole industry. And she found that her passion was climbing mountains. So then she used her creative genius and, uh, you know, started making documentaries, had a, a large following on Instagram, posting all her pictures, climbing mountains and stuff. And my wife was always on her case. She said, look, you got to figure out what you're doing in life. You're not making any money. You know, you're working all these shitty jobs. Look at your sister, whatever. And I just kept telling her, so look, you know, what's your passion? If this is your passion, follow it. Sooner or later, the dollars will will cover. You know, will uh, follow. And uh, so I kept encouraging her to to figure out what she loves to do, and that's what she loves to do. She loves the outdoors. So she now does all the social media for Kodiak Cakes, which is uh, I don't know if you know it's a it's a pancake mixed with a big grizzly bear on, on front of it. They have all kinds of other products, but you know they're now I think the largest pancake uh, product uh, pancake mix product in in the U.S. Uh, and and she, and it's all about outdoors. Uh, you know she sends you know stuff with Zach Efron, who's one of their key spokespersons. So she, she's living a life. She loves her job. She loves the company. She loves her life. But it took about probably five, six years to get there uh, because she was following her passion. Uh, she figured out who she was. She was following her passion. And and creativity was always something that she was very good at. Mm -hmm. right? So it was like, okay, just kind of pivoting that creative, you know, theater, whatever, into something else creative um, and following her passion of the outdoors. Um, you know, Nicole, very different. You know, she was following her passion on, of sales and marketing and business. Um, so... I mean, I don't know how they figured it out, but they did. And I think if we just give the, just 
take the phones away from the kids, right? <laughs> take the phones away and and have them figure it out, you know, what their passion is. And and you're right, don't don't shove stuff down their throat that, you know, you should do this or you should do that. Uh, because they may end up going through life, you know, being miserable doing what they've done. So let them find themselves. Yeah. Now, what what is the Maxwell uh leadership model? You know, um people have heard of it, but for those that haven't aren't familiar, how would you describe it? Well, John Maxwell is is unique in himself that um you know, he's the the kind of leadership guru and and he started off as a pastor. And all his leadership models are based on biblical principles as by the way are mine. Um uh, and it's it's you know, Maxwell doesn't call it servant leadership, but I call it servant leadership. And uh, what it boils down to is I tell people all the time, the day you realize that it's not about you and it's something much bigger than you, that's the day you be, you can begin to think about being a, a better leader, right? So if, if, it's, if, if all you think it's about you, you're in charge, you're calling on shots. And if that's what leadership is to you, uh, I can guarantee you that it's not a function of uh, if, it's just a function of when you will fail. Right. If oh. if you realize that it's something much bigger than you um, and it's not about you, you're only there to facilitate and lead um, and create an environment, then I think you realize what leadership is about and you can start working on that leadership model to become, to be, to become a better leader. You know, I, 20 years ago or so, I, you know, when Jack Welsh was big and in the news, I was reading a few of his books and he talked about how he didn't want to hire managers. He wanted to hire leaders that would energize a team that ran so fast, they'd have trouble staying ahead of the team. Yeah, Jack, Jack well, one of the first books I, I read many, many years ago was Straight from the Gut. That was from uh, Jack Welch. It was a, it was a great book. Um, and that's, that's really also, I mean, you know, we talked about before we got into this podcast about culture force and the Navy SEALs model. And, and I, would, I don't want to call them rogue teams. But the whole idea behind the Navy SEALs teams is th there's an overall mission. There's an overall vision that everybody shares. But then none of the teams get mi micromanaged. The kind of teams kind of figure out who their leaders are. They may be different leaders that, depending on what the mission is. Um, and, it, and it's really just organizing themselves as a team to, to become self-sufficient and achieve that goal, achieve that mission that they had for that one particular occasion. Um, so, you know, same thing with, with Jack Welsh, when, when you, when you talk about, you know, leaders and, and having them become self leading teams, right. And, and John Maxwell says that the three levels of leadership are the first one is, you know, how to lead yourself. The second one is developing followers. And the third one is developing future leaders. And if, if you understand how to develop future leaders, then you can become, a leader of a uh, several teams, and then each one of those teams has leaders that you took time to develop, and you feel fairly comfortable that just by giving them giving them some guidelines uh, where they have a shared vision, shared purpose, shared vision, they can figure it out themselves and leave them alone. Uh, some leaders hire stupid people and micromanage them. Other leaders hire smart people and let them go. You know, I'm I like hiring smart people give them the guidelines and let them figure it out. That's why you hired the smart people. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that you have to be willing to risk is if you hire smart people, you know, there's some level of fear that you may equip them or train them 
create a platform for them to move on and do something else. And I think there's some insecurity in people that drive them to say, well, no, I don't want somebody, I don't want to hire somebody that uh, is just going to come in and leave. But I think they're missing out. You know, I think they're missing something. Would you agree? Well, I think the key word you use there is insecurity, right? Um, that describes it to the, you know, to the the exact uh, problem. You know, the, the person is insecure and they insecure themselves. I always felt that I would love to have somebody on my team that maybe one day I end up working for, right? Because they're, yeah. right? They're, they're, and, and by the way, there's, there's a guy who signed the back of my book. He's one of the, you know, guys, Yuri and, Yuri was a brand manager that used to work for me many, many years ago. And then he ended up going and uh, leading, um, I think, a, about a $1.2, $1.5 billion organization. He was the CEO of that organization. So kudos for him. Great for him because, look, <laughs> I think, John, I, I, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't know the exact word, but since you're talking about Jack Mac Maxwell, he said, look, um, what is wrong with having somebody you know, who's, who's bright and you train him, leave you. I mean, the alternative is hiring somebody stupid and they stay with you, yeah. <laughs> which one would you rather have? <laughs> right. Yeah. I lost last year. I lost uh, the person who ran my company when I was in the hospital uh, for three months and it was a huge loss. But when she told me what she was moving on for, I couldn't, couldn't help but celebrate this move for, her. you know, it was a, it was a good move. And, um, but at the same time, it was a huge loss. Well, you know, I'm sure it was a huge loss, but I'm sure that's not the only individual that was on your team that had potential, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's, uh, and when you, again, talking about Kyle and who's a good friend of mine, who's a Navy SEAL, uh, he's got a book out and, um, in one of the chapter, they, they talk about how the Navy SEAL model runs. And by the way, nothing I'm saying is confidential. It's in his book. So, you know, it's public domain. But one of the things that they do when they uh, go through training is they walk up to the platoon leader and whisper in his ear, say, you're dead. Right? So now the platoon leader is dead. He's out of the picture. And he gets to step back along with the rest of the you know leadership to say, how does his team perform without him? You know, who steps in? Who takes the leadership role, you know, and and if it if it was a bad, you know, if that platoon leader was didn't really develop their leaders, then that kind of that platoon probably fails. Right. Uh, versus if he took the time and developed multiple leaders, not just one, but multiple leaders, uh, that team probably flourishes. And the same thing goes for business. I mean, just don't just take one person and say, OK, I'm going to groom this person. But, you know, take future potential leaders and groom all of them because. You don't know who's going to be excelling. Who you know, you don't know who's going to be leaving. So have bench strength. Build that bench strength. Yeah, that's so wise. Well, let me ask you this: Have you ever had a white knuckled moment where you felt like your leadership was put to the test? You you were faced with a decision. It was a scary decision. You weren't sure how it was going to work out. What happened? <laughs> you know, if you're a leader, you probably had about a hundred of them. Uh, but I would say. You know, most recently, I, I had a really good sales guy. And, and, you know, we talk about culture. We talk about values. And we talk about a team has to share those. And I say, look, your your culture and your values are non-negotiable. You can have all the discussion up front about what they should be. But once you agree on them, 
they become non-negotiable items and everybody has to share them and has everybody has to abide by them. And, uh, you know, I had one of my top sales guys um, who violated that, you know, uh, culture and, and values by something that they did. And, and I knew it's going to take a hit on me, you know, in sales, but I had to fire the guy hmm. right? because uh, he violated that, you know, culture and, and, and values trust. Um, and sure enough, you know, it, it took a, you know, quote unquote, white knuckle moment because for the ne next six months, it, it took a dip in sales because this guy wasn't there. So, you know, it took a while to replace him, but um, yeah, just be true to yourself on, on culture and values. They, they're not negotiable because before you blink, if if you think they're negotiable, uh, then a couple of months down the road, you don't have shared values in a culture anymore. Well, and I would imagine by doing what you did, that strengthened the team in the end, that they were able to, that they saw that that was a important principle. And, you know, and, and I would imagine it gave them security, uh, but also, you know, maybe for somebody, it, it set up a warning flag of, yeah, you know, no, these are we do have lines that you don't cross. Yeah, but it hurt the PL. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that can you be for a white knuckle moment, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, that and I think what I would say, I mean, and you know this. I mean, I'm just sharing something with you that you already know. Yeah, that hurts the PL, but when you have the right organization, you can fix that. You can regrow that. It, yeah, it takes time and you know, if you uh, if you're a public company and you live by the quarterly report, yeah, that's going to be really hard. But um, but ultimately, you can fix that. And you know, one of the things that I admired about Steve Jobs, you know, I don't think Steve Jobs was an exceptional human being, but he had some exceptional moments. And you know, he used to tell when the uh, when the investors would come and say, "Hey, you have to slip us some." Secrets, let us know what's coming or else we won't recommend your stock. And Steve Jobs would look at him and say, if you're stupid enough to not buy Apple stock, well, that's up to you. But you're really going to regret it a year from now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, this has been really fascinating. I love the way that you've you know thrown out those ideas. They're very concise and, and, and pointed. And I th think people will be able to listen to this and have some very actionable, very uh, clear takeaways. But I'm sure there's some people that are going to say, but I want more. And for those folks, how do they reach you? Uh, well, if you want more, a lot of th things I talked about, and I, I don't want to self-promote the book, but there's a lot of things I talked about that's in the book and a lot, lot more. So go to Amazon, look for uh, C-Suite and Beyond, uh, Four Keys to Leadership Success. Uh, read the book. It will help you, I think. Um, if you want to read my, you don't want to read my book, read my buddy Kyle's book uh, that just came out. Um, it's also on Amazon. It's called Leadership is Overrated. Uh, and the easiest way to find me personally is on LinkedIn. Uh, there's, I think, only one. I think there's two Karestis or three Karestis on LinkedIn. Me, myself, my uh, daughters. Uh, so that's three of us. That's Those are the people that you'll find as Karesti on LinkedIn. So pretty easy to track me down. And that's spelled K-E-R-E-S. ZTI. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. Please. Yeah. So LinkedIn and then your website is leadership disciples. Is it correct? Leadershipdisciples.com. Yeah. All right. But if you just, you know, even if you could just Google my last name, Caresti, 
not a lot of choices. Yeah. <laughs> it's a unique last name. It is. It is. Well, Tom, thanks for being on Leaders and Legacies today. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. It was fun, as always. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.